As uh, Kevin said, we started uh, last week a look at uh, the uh, uh, epistle written by the Apostle Peter, uh, and we're going to uh, dig in a little bit more on that uh, today. Uh, last week we talked about Peter, today we're going to talk about who it is that receives this letter. Um, if you read uh, the New Testament epistles, one of the things that you often find there is you'll read along and you'll you'll see that it's addressed to somebody, right? Most letters are addressed to, to, to somebody. There's, there's somebody in mind that's supposed to receive the letter. Well, uh, what, uh, in, instead of this being to just one group of people in a, in a local town, like the believers in Corinth or the, the believers in Philippi or something like that, this letter, as you read, is to a, a group of people, group of churches scattered uh, throughout um, much, much of what is now... Uh, modern-day Turkey. And so <clears throat> this letter uh, was actually to be circularized among uh, those, different, uh, those different congregations. And so Peter identifies these people as exiles. Now, before I read the text, let me, let me say just a couple of things about that. First of all, it's almost impossible for the majority culture to understand that. Okay? It's almost impossible. And, and, and there's a reason for that. You know, one of the things, one of the reasons why we, we read, we can't help it, but we read the New Testament through our eyes, shaped by our culture, shaped by our time. <clears throat> the, the fact of the matter is, the people who received this letter identified as exiles knew they were exiles, knew they didn't belong, knew they were the minority the persecuted minority even, and that they had almost no power, almost none, right? And so uh, a lot of what Peter's going to write in this book is to people, in this letter, is to people who are bearing up under persecution, and, and that persecution looked, uh, 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 and, and as we'll see, looked, um, uh, was, was quite varied, actually. Um, and so these folks did not, when they hear this word exile, they don't have to do a lot of gymnastics mentally or spiritually to identify with what he's talking about. Um, fact of the matter is, uh, we're blessed as a congregation to be surrounded by and loved by and involved with people who uh, are not from here. We have a lot to learn from them. But even they could not be uh, as, in the same way as, of an exile as the people that received this letter because uh, immigrants, refugees, look back to a place that they see as their home. The exiles that are discussed in this passage know that where they are or where they are from is not their home, but it's a place they haven't even been to yet, Right? And so it's important for us to kind of to lay hold of this today as we, as we think about this. And um, one of the things that is uh, uh, so rich about this imagery is that we can learn an awful lot about uh, and be convicted and comforted uh, as we think about where I live, how I live, uh, what my identity is in this place and time where I live. And so Peter's going to help us. Uh, with that this morning. So let me read to you 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Uh, 
The text is printed in the bulletin and uh, also up on uh, the screens behind me. Uh, This is God's word and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So, you know, one of the things that you have to see about this is, is these people who are receiving this letter are people who are trying to figure out how to make it in the world. They're trying to figure out where they belong. They're trying to figure out what, what this identity of belonging to uh, Jesus Christ means for them. And they are scattered in tiny little churches all over these cities, all over uh, um, the ancient world. And so one of the things that the, in the front part of the bulletin, there's a, a quotation that talks about the church being a colony, really, a, a, a group of people who, who are living somewhere, but that place where they're living is not really uh, their home, their ultimate home. Um, my wife teaches first grade, and in the school where she teaches first grade, they do Virginia history. And so uh, they, sp- they go to Jamestown every year, and they, they study about Jamestown. Well, one of the things that you learn about Jamestown is, and one of the things I've never been able to figure out about this, I'm not from here, so maybe if I was from here, I could figure it out. But one of the things that I can't figure out is, how was it that they almost starved to death? They're there on the James River. Obviously, there's fish, clams, oysters, shrimp. This is way, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of great stuff, sturgeon even. Giant sturgeon, big as your car, right? So, so there are uh, there had there was stuff there to eat, right? Uh, there's game everywhere. You know, we have this sense of just the bounty that 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 was here, and and yet they almost starved. How could they do that? They ended up having to make bread out of um, acorns. You ever eaten an acorn? Well, as, as a kid, I have, I have some memories of that, and um, it didn't taste very good. It's pretty bitter, really bitter, right? So, well, there's, there's probably two reasons for that. One is they were terrified to go outside the fort because they thought the Native Americans might do away with them, and maybe that's so. But another problem was they were gentlemen, and gentlemen don't get your hands dirty. Someone else gets the food, and serves it to you. I wish I was a gentleman. That would uh, be quite a life, wouldn't it, right? Um, But, you know, they made it. And uh, we call that the first permanent English-speaking colony in North America. I'm from North Carolina. We had a colony. (laughs) You ever heard of it when you go to the Outer Banks? The lost colony, there, you know, they, they set it up and had a great thing going there, and they went back to England, and they were delayed, and when they came back, there was that weird word scribbled on uh, a post there, and they were gone. They were gone. Most historians today uh, uh, think that they were just simply assimilated into the culture there. You know where this is headed. (laughs) Are we a lost colony? 
probably uh, most of us uh, did not wake up this morning with the sense of um, this place where I am, I have a, a, a disconnect, a dissonance in the deepest, most um, intense part of my soul and my heart. Because most of us spend most of our time working really hard to make this place our home, attach our hopes and our dreams to it without any sense at all that we are uh, in a place, we are aliens, we are resident aliens, we are sojourners, and this place ultimately is not where we belong. So Christians are the elect of God, that is, God has, has chosen us. We're going to spend a lot of time on that in the next couple of weeks. We're the elect of God, and thus only temporarily resident in the present world. This makes clear their status as resident aliens so long as they remain in the world. Their existence receives its definition and direction from the future, not from the present, from God, not from the world. Now, that's really, really important, right? Because one of the things that we have to see about that is that where we are today, that our, our identity and, and our destiny is not wrapped up in where we've come from, but where we're going, right? That our future uh, is vastly more important to our identity than our past. You know, we're entering into uh, football, uh, college football season, one of my favorite times of the year. But one of the things that, that you, is so hilarious to me is when you go to uh, these football games, you go to these campuses, and you see guys my age, and it's like they never left. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Do you get that? Ever, you know anybody like that? It's like, wow, they still look and act like they did when they were 21. Right? None of us here, obviously, but uh, it, is, it is so hilarious to me. And so, the, so much of their life is defined in, some, in a weird way, in a sick way maybe, but uh, that, 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 that four-year, five-year, six-year period of their life uh, was, was kind of like that, right? Right? Uh, one of the things, and so, so we tend to think about our identity as being driven so much by, by our past. And while those things are, are true, our, our citizenship is driven by the future, right? So, uh, yet for a time, uh, they are in the world and beset by its claims and contingencies. Its claims and contingencies. What I spend about 98% of my time. The world's claims and contingencies, right? Transitory. Keep going, AJ, as those are. For people facing persecution, it must have been extremely comforting to realize that although they were rejected where they were living, and they did belong, they, that they did belong somewhere, their hope was to travel in that direction. Now, I, this is esoteric. This is hard for us to understand. Uh, and, and probably I'm going to miss most of you this morning about this. I, I recognize that. So let me just say this right now before you drift off, and it's this. Are you traveling in that direction? Or are you stuck? Are you moving in the direction of the future that Jesus Christ lived and died and rose again to give you? 
Is that what your life is about? Is that the shaping thing that drives how you think about where you work and where you live and what you do with your money and who you hang out with and that kind of stuff? Or do you see yourself as a pilgrim that is moving somewhere else? Or do you think, you know what? I'm going to spend my time and my energy on making this place my home as comfortably as I possibly can be. I have arrived, and I'm going to make this work, right? Um, so that, which we're going to revisit that again because that's an important question. But I wanted you to get that because the fact is we are moving. We are headed towards something, right? That the work of Jesus Christ in us uh, is not just for us to, 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 to uh, spend our time and energy trying to um, achieve a upper-middle-class comfort or even a middle-class comfort. What he's done <clears throat> is given us a new identity and a new home, and, he is, and, and, and the, the, the church uh, and the people in the church are moving in that direction, right? That's where we're ultimately headed towards, Right? Now, that's really hard because what I see right here, what I do right here, this stuff demands my time and my energy. It demands that I, that I fully engage. And we do that, but we hold what this world is, this place, this time, uh, very loosely. So, uh, so how does one live as a resident alien? Not as one looking back to where you came from, but as one that's looking forward. Well, I've got three things to say about this. The first one is this. Uh, because of us, the world is blessed even when it mocks us. Now, that's, that's kind of hard for us to get our, our attention around. The, the people in Bithynia and Galatia and Cappadocia, uh, 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 Pontus, those, those towns, actually were under, in, in some sense, the favor of God because in those towns, in those cities, were colonies of, of, of Christ followers. There were, there were people there who belonged to Jesus Christ, who identified with him, and though they may have been hated and though they may have been persecuted, the fact of the matter is their existence in those places uh, brought about blessing. Now, now, one of the things that you have to see about this is that there's been debate in the history of the church for years and years and years about how the church interacts with, with being where it is, right? So there are some people who say the way you interact with the world, the way you, you interact with the places, uh, you, uh, you, you get yourself in a fort, and you get yourself a big gun, and you put that gun in the middle of your fort, and you aim it up in the air, and you shoot it out over the walls of the fort to destroy everybody that's outside, right? Or you get in your fort, and... You hunker down, as my dad used to say, like a jackrabbit in a hailstorm, and you just take it until God gets you out. Or you can't tell any difference between the church and the world. We just, we just fit right in because we want to be just like it because it looks pretty good to us. Well, the, the fact of the matter is none of those things ultimately are that helpful. We know that the people of God at the end of the Old Testament, <laughs> at, at, towards the end of the Old Testament, were carried away to exile. Uh, Judah was um, unfaithful, and 
King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon came and carried the, the rich and the uh, educated uh, back to Babylon with him, right? And Psalm 137 says this, By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion, which is what you would do. You would think back about your home and you would think, well, it was so awesome being in Jerusalem. Now we're stuck here on the willows. There we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. Now, um, where does uh, racial and uh, uh, cultural um, discrimination comes from, come from? Well, you know, when, we identify... Um, uh, people uh, by their dominant culture, right? And, and when you live in a place where there are people who are not from here, uh, but people who are from somewhere else, we make fun of them, right? We make fun of their songs. We make fun of their foods. We make fun of their accent. We make fun of, and whatever. And, and of course, they're doing it to us. There are just not as many of them, right? <laughs> uh, that, you don't think that's funny, that you've been made fun of? Uh, I had, I had a, a, a roommate uh, from Korea, and uh, I had to tell him one day, I'm like, dude, you know, can you tone down the garlic? He, he, he put garlic on everything. And I mean, it was really strong, really, really strong. And I'm like, and he's like, dude, can you turn down the milk and cheese? And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> he's, I said, you reek of garlic. You smell like, you know, you got garlic wrapped around your head. And he's like, you smell like rotten milk. I was like, no, I don't. I smell like me. <laughs> that was really helpful for me. So, yeah. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If, if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy, remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you've done to us. So there's a, there's a, a reality there where we look at the culture and we, and we look at our place in it and when we see and we experience alienation and we experience persecution and we experience mocking and that sort of stuff, the fact of the matter is unless people repent, unless people turn their backs on that, the fact is they're doomed. And so one of the things that we have to recognize about that is, is as powerful and as um, uh, permanent and as... as uh, uh, the, the structures in the world in which we live may seem, the fact is they're not. And that God is the one in his kingdom, our identity in Jesus Christ, the kingdom that Jesus lived, died, and, and rose again to establish on this earth, that that ultimately, that is the place where I, I look at that, that is the only safe place for us to be because if we're outside of that kingdom, if we're outside of that place, we're doomed. But that's not the only attitude that we have about that. Jeremiah said to these same people, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Okay, so if you're going to be exiled somewhere and God tells you to build a house, how long does it take to build a house? Nine months, a year? Okay, all right, we can do that. 
We can be here a year, right? And live in them. Uh-oh. It's getting a little longer. <laughs> Plant gardens and eat their produce. Oh. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Now we're up into years. And then take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons. So now we're up to grandchildren. Right? Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. So here's the thing about that is, this is the, this is the great thing that the gospel frees us up to do, is, is wherever we are, the place in which we live, the, the city where God has placed us, the exile that we're in now, the place that we're passing through until we get to our ultimate eternal home, the fact is we should uh, be about the business of blessing. The, we, we should ask the question, uh, is the 9,000 block of Cuyacuson Road blessed because we're here? Uh, and, 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 and if it is, what is it that we can do to continue to bless it? What is it about Richmond, Virginia that we can do and that we can be to be a blessing to that city? What is it about the Commonwealth of Virginia that we as the people of God can be about the business of being a blessing for the welfare of the city in which we live? Because... First of all, that's what Jesus calls us to do, and that's, that's what he enables us to do, and that's what the gospel is, but it's also for our own benefit. So we, we want to see businesses prosper. We want to see, uh, and, and, and by the way, one of the things, if, if you ever struggle with being able to um, uh, bear witness to the gospel, all you got to do is go to a business owner in this economy and say, I'd like to pray for your business. And most of them will say, bring it. I don't believe in God, but I'll hedge my bets. That's my hedge fund. I'm hedging it with God, right? So, so, the, so, the, the, so the fact of the matter is, we should see and long for the prosperity and the blessing of the place where we are. And in fact, a place is blessed because God has his colony there, because he has his people there, right? And what's really ironic about that is, even though we may feel like we are weak and pitiful and poor and, and the minorities uh, uh, and, and have no ability to, to affect change, the fact is, we know, as the wanderers, that we are the ones who will inherit the earth. So you can, you can see the kind of posture that we are to have uh, towards this. Secondly, while I experience difficulty and blessing, this home is passing away, no matter how solid and permanent it may seem. Next, next slide. So uh, the writer of Hebrews says, "For we, here we have no lasting city. Let me say that again. Here we have no lasting city. But we seek the city that is to come. Um. If you're new to Richmond, and by that I mean, like me, I've only been here 28 years, um, which, which makes me very new here, right? Those of you who are, who are from here would, would agree with that. Um, you should, uh, if, you, if you've never done it before, you should go to Hollywood Cemetery. Now, first of all, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's beautiful, 
It's also creepy because people in the 19th century had some pretty weird views about death and, and what to do about dead people. But it is, it is a very striking place. And one of the things that you realize when you go there is how much time, energy, and expense was spent on memorials to dead people. Well, you know what? They've only been there, some of them, 150 years, and they're going away. The edges are being blunted, and uh, the writing is getting harder to read. And, and slowly but surely, over time, maybe in four or 500 more years, which in the blink of, in, uh, not even a blink of an eye in light of eternity, they'll be washed away. They'll be gone. They'll just wear out. What looks like a piece of granite that we would say, this is going to be here forever and ever and ever, will not be. Peter here writes from Babylon. Now, uh, Babylon, he, he, he uses that word Babylon because he wants uh, the people here to be reminded of two things. One, uh, we know that in the first century, the Babylon where King Nebuchadnezzar was, where Daniel and his friends went, where, where all of, uh, all of the, the elite of Israel was exiled to, was a ghost town. The most powerful city in the world the place where the, the center of, of commerce and, and military power, the place that is, is, is going to be there forever, was a ghost town. He's actually writing to them, more than likely, from the city of Rome, the eternal city, the center of the world, the empire's headquarters, the place that will be that way forever, Right? He says, she who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Um, what, a, what a fascinating thing. The she there that he's talking about uh, is not his wife, I don't think. I think it's the church. It's the colony of the chosen, the exiles that are there in Babylon, right? And so here's the thing that you have to see about this. And I, I want to be very direct with you this morning about this to help you uh, and to help us sort this out. It looks to us like the United States of America. It looks to us like the way things are. And by the way, I love it here. I really do. I love it. It's not going to last. It won't. It won't. Babylon didn't last. It won't last. Even though we look at it and we think, we are spending zillions and trillions and trillions of zillions of dollars on making sure that it lasts, it won't last. And, I, and, I, and please understand when I say this, I'm not saying you should not engage and play, pray for the blessing of the city uh, where God has planted you. But I do know this, I do know this, that this place, this time, this uh, a national identity that I have here, it's, it, it, it won't last forever. And so because of that, and because I see this place as not my ultimate home, I hold its destiny a little bit looser than I would otherwise. The United States of America is not the hope of the world. Okay? Now, 
I have been voting in presidential elections since 1980. Since 1980. I remember that election very well. Um, it was going to be a nail-biter, and my college fraternity was going to have a party to go into the late uh, hours, early hours of the morning, having a party, because we weren't going to know who uh, was elected, and by 8.30, the election had been called. What a disappointment. So we set on fire all the uh, political signs that we had put in the front yard of our house, right? As you don't think that's funny. Uh, I don't recommend that. Kids, if you're out there, just because your pastor did it, don't do it. But it was... Because <laughs> we had to go to the library at 9 o'clock, and we <laughs> had to, didn't have an excuse not to, to study. So... Uh, you, every election since then, I've been told that this election is the most important in the history of our country. Now, some of you are like, well, it is, isn't it? Well, most important means most important, the most. So, I don't, how, do, how, do we, how do we do that? Did you know that in 15 months we're going to have a presidential election? You might not have known that. You might not have heard that. <laughs> you, you might not have had any awareness of that at all. Uh, we need to have a rigorous debate. We need to have a rigorous thing about who we think uh, we should vote for. You should vote your conscience. You should vote your values. Those, those things are absolutely, positively true. But I want to tell you something, that our destiny as the people of God is bound up in Jesus Christ. Okay? So hold this process loosely, and please, please don't hate each other. Okay? The fact is, the, the truth of the matter is, as we, as we do this, as we have this kind of rigorous thing as we, as we sort through this, don't get crushed and hopeless if things don't go the way you think they should go. Because the fact is, I'm going somewhere else. I'm moving through this place and this time. And though I pray for the blessing, I pray, pray for righteousness, and I work for that in the culture in which I live, I know that my ultimate destiny is somewhere else, right? We're travelers. We're travelers. Um, and travelers, the most effective travelers, and this is one of the things I learned. I don't get to fly very often, and so when I get on an airplane, I always feel out of place. But I watch the business guys who are so efficient in the way in which they get through airports and the way in which they pack and the way they get on planes. And I'm so jealous because I'm thinking, they make this look so easy, right? They, they're used to doing this every week. And I'm like, I feel bulky and stupid. And I feel almost like, you know, I'm a three-year-old on the plane. And I'm just a real, I'm, actually, I'm kind of in their way. But one of the things that I notice about guys like that is they travel light. They travel light. No check bags. They got everything they need in a thing about this big. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
and they put it up in that overhead bin, and, you know, I've got a giant case that weighs 150 pounds, and I forgot half the stuff I was supposed to put in it, right? But because they're, they're experienced travelers, and they know what they're doing, and they know that they're going somewhere else, they travel lightly. They appreciate the scenery. They like where the, 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 the accoutrements around them, but they're moving on. They're moving on. Their destination is what matters, and so they don't carry a lot of stuff to weigh them down on the way to where they're going. Right? That would be good for us. Uh, <clears throat> you're probably, like me, often stuck, hopeless, angry, frustrated, um, terrified, when I forget that this place and this time is not my home. I love it. I want it to be blessed. But my identity and my citizenship resides in the kingdom of God, purchased, stamped, and sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ for me. And that lets me, allows me, calls me even, to travel a little less heavier and a little lighter than I would otherwise. Would you join me now in praying for the prosperity of our city and our nation but also praying for our hearts uh, as we uh, think through uh, what it means to be exiles uh, in this place. Let's pray. Lord, we, um, we tell you now, and you know this about us already, that we love uh, this city, we love this community, and uh, we thank you for it. And Lord, there's a lot here that's messed up. There's a lot here that's wrong. There's a lot here that's unrighteous and ugly. Uh, there's a lot here that has got to be displeasing to you. Um, and yet, Lord, you have placed us here in this time and in this place and in this space. And so we pray for the prosperity and for blessing upon this community, upon Richmond, Upon, upon the commonwealth of Virginia. And Lord, we don't, we don't do that uh, just uh, to be self-serving, uh, but we do that uh, because you have placed us here and you've told us to seek the welfare of the place where we are. And so Lord, teach us how to do that. But teach us how to do that in a way uh, that doesn't confuse us uh, into seeking uh, and desiring more from this place than it can give us. Lord, teach us to hold loosely our place at the same time that we love and bear witness to it. Jesus, we thank you today that you have purchased us by your blood, by living and dying and rising again on our behalf, that we belong to you, body and soul, uh, and that our citizenship and our identity is not 
uh, just someplace here on this planet, but it rests in you, and our destiny and our future is found in you. And so teach us how to live like that. Lord, we ask you today uh, to give wisdom and grace and mercy and strength uh, to those who are persecuted uh, for belonging to you. And Lord, we pray today that uh, you would come and come quickly and once and for all establish your rule and your kingdom. Lord, I pray today for those who feel lost and alone, uh, that you would make a place for them uh, in your colony. And I pray that you would make a place um, <clears throat> for this colony uh, on this planet to bear witness to you, to who you are, and what you've done. Lord, forgive us for making more of our national identity, of our racial identity, our ethnic identity, than we should. Jesus, be our glory, uh, be our king, um, and as you do that, strengthen and encourage us until your kingdom is fully come. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. As the guys uh, uh, come up to take up the offering, let me remind you to drop your tear off in the plate. Please don't feel pressure to give. Only give today if it's a part of your worship in response to God's goodness and grace.